The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 272. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page at Brian McClanahan, where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media buttons on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, McClanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address, and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do it. And I've got eight classes available for purchase. It's a great way to support the show and get something great out of it as well, which is a great, high-quality class. You can also support the show by going to brianmclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep these lights on, help keep the podcasts going. You can also get your book plates there if you've got one of my books. Just buy a book plate, I'll sign it, send it on to you, and you've got my autograph on one of those books. So it's a great way to get my autograph, and a very painless way to get my autograph. Just a few bucks, and you get that book plate. You can also click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get all your Brian McClanahan Show logo on all kinds of cool stuff. T-shirts, wall clocks, stickers, uh, all kinds of things. Uh, so it's a great way to support the show and advertise the show. And that said, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the podcast, share it around on social media. Subscribe to it. Do all you can to support it. Get people thinking locally and acting locally. And last but not least, another great way to support the show is by going to Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. That is my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. It's also a great website, a great educational website. I teach there along with Tom Woods, Brad Berzer, Jason Jewell, Bob Murphy, a whole lot of great people, Kevin Gutzman. Um, so it's uh, you get over 20 classes. It's a great bang for your buck. So you click on that. Learn True History, you put that in your web address, takes you out to the, to the website, Liberty Classroom. Great way to do it, and of course, you support the show in that way as well. All right, let's talk about the topic of the day, which is how America ends. Now, I've done a couple of podcasts recently on a forthcoming civil war and how I doubt, highly doubt, that's going to happen. I don't think that Americans have the stomach for it, but there certainly is a culture war. And we know that in 1992... Pat Buchanan made this a fundamental part of his uh, speech at the Republican National Convention. And in many ways, I talk about this in my U.S. History uh, 1865 to the present class when I get into the last few units. In many ways, I mean, you could say that Trump, President Trump, is a byproduct of that 1992 election because there were those that realized that Wait a second here. There's a real warning sign setting up that these establishment Republicans are simply progressives driving the speed limit and that we've got fundamental issues in America that they're not going to address and that traditional American society is going to die if we don't do something about it. So fast forward to 2019. We've had the 2016 presidential election. Trump in many ways echoed some of the things Buchanan had said in 1992. We had had several years of moderate Republicans, establishment Republicans, 
whether it was George H.W. Bush in 92, Bob Dole in 96, George W. Bush in 2000 and 2004, John McCain in 2008, and Mitt Romney in 2012, all with varying degrees of success, but we had had establishment Republicans push the party in a direction of simply being the Democrats' light. And it's still that way. I mean, people that think it's not are, are delusional. And even Trump really hasn't done much of what he said he was going to do. Uh, and this is the, the funny thing. Trump is just a 1940s Democrat. Um, but the fact is, uh, the Republicans have been more in line with what the Democrats want to do than what they let on. Rhetorically, they sound great to the conservative electorate or even to some libertarians. They sound great. We're going to roll back spending. We're going to cut, we're, we're going to cut taxes. We're going to do things. We're going to cut, uh, we're going to gut all of these SJW programs and ideas. We're going to get rid of that stuff. Never happens. And when Rand Paul tries to do something and the U.S. Senate tries to institute his penny plan, cut 2% of the federal budget, well, this is seen as throwing mama, throwing grandma out of the nursing home, right? Only 22 people, only 22 senators agreed with the plan. And the Republicans control the Senate. I mean, this should have been a no-brainer. If the Republicans are really about spending cuts, then this would have been a no-brainer for that particular plan. 2% spending cuts over five years. You're talking about cutting 10% of the current federal budget. And let me tell you, the dirty little secret is that it's gone up more than 10% in the last five years. So we'll be rolling back to maybe the spending levels of about three years ago, and we couldn't get by on that? It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. But this is where we are. We live in ridiculous times. So we've got a situation where we it seems to, that we have this very polarized American electorate. And this piece, How America Ends at the Atlantic, which is always great fodder for podcasts. I mean, the Atlantic is one of the most ridiculous websites on the web, only surpassed by now the now-defunct Think Progress, which thankfully is gone. But Vox is just as bad. Uh, the Daily Beast is really awful. I mean, you get these left-wing sites that are just so pathetic. They can't get out of their own way. And the funny thing is, and I'm going to get into this, all of these sites never think that they're the reason for any of the problems. They never blame progressivism for causing any of the problems in America. You see, it's all because of the right that all these bad things happen. It's not our fault. We didn't do anything. We're not advocating dramatic social change in America that's making people uncomfortable, uneasy. We're not talking about things that are completely unconstitutional and dangerous. That's not our fault. We're not demonizing people. We're not calling people all kinds of names and doxing them and doing everything else to them. We're not doing any of that. This is just you being hypersensitive and worrying about something that's never going to happen. It's not, it's not our fault. And this traces all the way back through history. The way they portray history is this way. So this piece by Yanni Applebaum, the slug for it, the URL and the, and, you know, the, and, and the web address is actually this. Moderate Republicans can save America. So all we need, according to Yanni Applebaum, just to sum this up in one sentence, is just a good dose of Mitt Romney and John McCain. If we just had Mitt Romney and John McCain, you know, things would be great. Because what's great about Mitt Romney and John McCain? Well, they support everything we do, at least in moderation. 
And so if we had a Mitt Romney, a President Romney, or a President McCain, we would have gotten most of what we wanted anyways. Maybe not everything. We would have gotten most of it. So that's good. So all you people out there, all you Trump supporters, all you Pat Buchanan people, all you Rand Paul people, Ron Paul people, whoever you are, all you people that would be against all of that, well, to just back down. You just let these moderate Republicans take over and everything will be good. Because you see, you're just really the problem. And this is essentially the, the point of the piece. And he even does this with historical examples, okay? which is hilarious to me. I'll get into all that. It's a long piece. In fact, it's thought that it would take about 30 minutes to read it. So I'm going to summarize some of it. I'm not going to read everything. But Applebaum begins by essentially blaming Donald Trump for everything that's wrong in America right now. It's his rhetoric. It's his tweets. It's things he says. It's speeches. Trump says things like, Our radical Democrat opponents are driven by hatred, prejudice, and rage. Are they not? Do they not really hate you? I mean, they do. It's been very clear. Of course they do. They don't like what you think. And there's a there's a reason for this, and I'm going to talk about it in just a second. But the rhetoric, is he's blaming rhetoric. What is taking place is not an impeachment. It's a coup intended to take away the power of the people, their vote, their freedoms, their Second Amendment, religion, military, border wall, and their God-given rights as a citizen of the United States of America. This is what he fumed on Twitter. Trump fumed. On Twitter, just the language. Uh, well, is this not true? Does the, has the left not openly said that they want to abolish the Second Amendment? Is that not true? Have they not shown open disdain for organized religion other than what's now considered to be a crusade to preserve diversity like Islam or any other religion other than Christianity? If you're a Christian, well, I mean... That's okay. But if you're a Christian, well, that's not good. I mean, you can be a Buddhist. You can be a Hindu. You can be anything except a Christian. If you're a Christian, well, then that's that's boring. We need to get rid of that stuff. Have they not made that clear? Uh, the military, I mean, look, I can I can buy the last problem with the military. We, we spend way too much on our military. But, of course, Trump is playing to his base voters there and saying, you know, we're going to gut, they're going to gut the military. Well, they should. We all should gut the military. It's too big. But the fact is, Trump is playing that up. The border wall. Now, Trump's not even building much of the wall, but there, of course, has been opposition to this from the left. It's immigration, and there's a good reason to fear immigration. Now, Yanni Applebaum doesn't think so. He thinks this is all just, if, if, if the Republicans were smart, they would embrace immigration. That would be a good thing, he says. Trump's apocalyptic, I'm sorry, apocalyptic rhetoric, excuse me, matches the tenor of the times. The body politic is more fractious today than at any time in recent memory. Is that true? Are we more fractious? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think that there have been other times, maybe in Yanni Applebaum's memory, uh, because uh, we haven't had this kind of ascension of progressivism. Obama did much in the triumph of progressivism, which is what I call the last unit in my U.S. history, 1865 to the present course. The triumph of progressivism. Uh, look, we are living in that. And it's not just the left. It's the right that's embraced progressivism as well. 
He says, in Congress, where the two caucuses once overlapped, ideologically, the dividing aisle has turned into a chasm. This is not really true. Justin Amash tweeted the other day, or either tweeted or put it on Facebook, I can't remember, but you know, the Republicans and Democrats are perfectly willing to work together on things like expanding the Patriot Act so that you can have more domestic surveillance. They're perfectly fine with spending more money. It's just, how are we going to spend it? But neither party really wants to cut spending. They're completely in line with this. They're not trying to cut spending. They're not trying to cut services. They're not trying to do any of that. The Republicans, as Michael Malice has said, are simply progressives driving the speed limit. They're going to get there. It's just going to take a little longer than if people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had complete control of things, or Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders. They're really driving the agenda, and the Republicans just say, okay, well, if you want it, well, then uh, if you turn it up to 10, we'll go to 5, and then, of course, next time, uh, and, I, and I talked about this, next time the, the Democrats will go to 15, and then we'll go to 10. So see, in, in two cycles, you've already gotten to 10. That's what the Democrats wanted anyways. This is why people on the right are saying enough is enough. We're not going to support moderate Republicans. They're not going to save anything. In fact, all they're going to do is just get us further down the road towards progressivism, progressive utopia that we don't want. So the problem is not the no's. It's those that concede to it. You see, Applebaum doesn't think there's anything wrong with this stuff. This is his problem. There is stuff. There is stuff. I mean, people have genuine opposition to these things. People are genuinely opposed to immigration for a variety of reasons. And it used to be the Democrats that thought that way, right? We're going to oppose immigration because it costs American jobs. Americans that are already here, why do we have to import all these people when there's people here that don't have jobs? Do we need to have more people who are now flooding into the country so that there's less jobs for people that are already here? Do we need that? Does that not put a strain on goods and services? <clears throat> does it not in some cases cause increases in crime and other things? Of course it does. This stuff has been documented. But no, can't say these things because that's going against the progressive mantra. And of course, there isn't really much of a, of a division between the Republicans. I mean, John McCain might as well have been a Democrat. In many ways, Trump might as well be a Democrat. I used to, I mean, I remember ribbing progressives saying, I don't know why you guys don't like George W. Bush. He's one of you. Oh, no, 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 he's not. <gasps> How can you say that? He's not one of us. He's not a progressive. He's not. Look at everything he did. It's all progressive. Um, he says, in 1960, less than 5% of Democrats and Republicans said they'd be unhappy, unhappy if their children married someone from the other party. Today, 35% of Republicans and 45% of Democrats would be. Now, isn't that interesting? He's blaming Republicans for all this, but it's the Democrats who have the civic religion who are saying you can't be an apostate. Don't leave the fold. Don't leave the religion. This is the problem with civic religion. It's the problem with secularism. You get this kind of stuff. It really shows where we are in America. A, a government has become a civic religion. It's become something to worship. And if you... Get out of line with your sect. Well, I mean, that's just like back. I mean, he says this is even higher than race and religion. Well, of course, because government is religion now. God is the state. The state is God. This is what these people think. And he's saying Trump is really stoking the fires here. He's making all this possible. Then he gets into the kicker. He says, what has caused such rancor, the stresses of a globalizing post-industrial economy, growing economic inequality, the hyper, 
uh, hyperbolizing force of social media, graphic, geographic sorting, the demog demagogic provo provocations, um, I'm sorry, provocations of the president himself, I if I could speak today. As in Murder on the Orient Express, every suspect has its hand in the crime. But it's never the fault of the reformers who are pushing an agenda that Americans simply don't like and it's being rammed down their throats. When you have uh, a leftist agenda being forced down children's throats in school, it's not their, it's not their fault. No, you, you people that oppose that, it's all your fault for being against it. I mean, if you would just be sensible and just be kind and conciliatory, we wouldn't have any problems. It's not the fault of these reformers. It's not their fault. It's not the fault of people like Elizabeth Warren saying billionaires shouldn't exist. Or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying the same thing. Or Bernie Warren, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders. Bernie Warren, same person. Uh, it's not their fault. It's not their fault for saying these things. It's not, it's not uh, Beto's fault for saying that we should confiscate firearms and if you don't, we'll take them by force. It's not their fault. No. This is just you being too sensitive for these things. And then he gets into saying, well, the biggest problem might be demographic change. It's just because of all these non-white people that white people are upset. It's just about race. It's just about racism. That's all it comes down to. According to Yanni Applebaum, essentially, that's it. It's just about racism. It's always been about racism. You see, in America, it's always been about race. This has been the real dividing line in America. And, you know, Trump might have been a reprieve. There have been people saying that the browning of America is going to make the GOP a permanent minority. Maybe Trump has cast some doubt on that. Um, but the problem is we've abandoned moderate conservatism in America. We've abandoned a center-right position. And he says, because of this, people on the right are abandoning democracy. They're abandoning democracy. And by abandoning democracy, they're saying, look, elections aren't going to help us. We're just out. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that's a bad thing. I mean, look, if California says that the left isn't, isn't our left anymore, we're out. Thank goodness. Leave. Right? Isn't it better to part as friends and to try to force someone else to your position, this is, see, Applebaum, at his core, believes in the civic religion of democracy. That it's somehow the best, that, I mean, look, the, Greek, the Greeks understood democracy wasn't the best. Democracy could be the worst. You had to have some checks on it. And if those checks are gone, well then, you lose your system. He says, but sometimes that process of realignment breaks down. Instead of reaching out and inviting new allies into his coalition, the political right hardens, turning against the democratic processes it, will, it fears will subsume it. Conservatism defined by ideas can hold its own against progressivism, winning converts to its principles and evolving with each generation. A conservatism defined by identity reduces the complex calculus of politics to a simple arithmetic question. And at some point, the numbers no longer add up. But is not the left simply playing identity politics too. Is that not the issue? I mean, is, is this not just the right playing the left's game and the left just can't stand it? I mean, it's what it comes down to. Now, I am not an identitarian. But the fact is, uh, this is what's happening. The left is now defining the terms. Progressives are the identitarians 
And so the right, by playing the same game, is simply using their weapon against them, and they can't stand it. So it's really progressivism that's driving the country over the cliff. And this is where Applebaum should say, you know what should happen? The left should stop trying to cause so much problems with so much reform. Stop. But he doesn't. He says what needs to happen is the center-right needs to come out and say, hey, you far-right-wingers that are opposing all this stuff, just shut up and get along. Now, before, before I get into his historical analysis and how wrong that is, I'm going to take a break. I'll see you in just a minute. Let me talk to you for a minute about McClanahan Academy. I know at the beginning of this particular podcast or this video, I talked about McClanahan Academy. But let me go into a little more detail about why I think you should sign up for it and why, and why I created it. First, a little bit about me. I have a PhD in American history from the University of South Carolina, and I've taught in the college environment for 20 years. And I've seen college students get worse over time, the curriculum get worse, and students are being indoctrinated more than educated now in our higher education system, whether it's high school or college. So I wanted a counterweight to that. And this is why I created the McClanahan Academy. Now, first, it's always free to enroll at McClanahan Academy. You sign up. It's free. And I give you a free course, 10 Myths of American History, when you do sign up. So it's a great way to get an introduction to what I do. But I've got eight courses for sale there and more forthcoming. All of these courses are designed to give you the non-PC version of American history, to take the red pill, so to speak. And I've got two courses in particular, my U.S. History Survey courses, which are designed for homeschoolers. So if you're a homeschooler and you want a good curriculum, and uh, my family has homeschooled all of our children from the beginning, and you want a solid history curriculum, that's why I designed the United States History 18, to 1865 and 1865 the present. You've got enough material, you've got lesson plans, you've got uh, tests, you've got reading material, you've got reading seminars, You've got 36 weeks, if you take them, buy them both, you've got 36 weeks of material, and it can be used as a high school history curriculum. Or if you're just a lifelong learner, you can use it otherwise. But it's a great way to get a real history education devoid of Marxism and progressivism and political correctness. So sign up at mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. Again, always free to enroll, and I'll see you there. All right, we're back here with Yanni Applebaum's discussion of How America Ends, right? I forgot the title because it's so silly, but How America Ends. So according to Yanni Applebaum, it's going to end because the right is going to cause it to end. And it's going to cause it to end unless these moderates get involved. So now he gets into his history, and this is where it gets really bad. Wait for it, and where he blames everything, here it comes. We should be careful about overstating the dangers. It is not 1860 again in the United States. It's not even 1850. But numerous examples from American history, most notably the antebellum South, offer a cautionary tale about how quickly a robust democracy can weaken when a large section of the population becomes convinced that it cannot continue to win elections and also that it cannot afford to lose them. He says the loss of all of this is not because of the strength or character of the political left or of the forces pushing for greater democratization so much as the viability of the center right. It's really not the left's fault that all this happens. 
It's not the left's fault that they're putting so much pressure on things, that they're trying to do things that people find repulsive, alien, problematic, destructive. No, that's not the problem. The problem is that you don't have a center right in America now that's willing to just say, okay, we'll take some of that and we'll just do a little bit of that, but we'll keep some other things. In other words, we're going to let you, what's happening is you can, there's nobody saying, you know what, you're throwing a fit like petulant little children, but we'll, we'll give you something. Just be quiet. Here's a candy bar. Uh, and just be quiet. And then when they throw another one, oh, no, I know one candy. Well, here's two candy bars. And you just be quiet over there. Just be quiet. Oh, no, here's a case of candy bars. You see, it's not the left's fault. Manny Applebaum says, no, no, no. It's the right. And he's, he points to Germany. It's the South, Germany. You see, I think he forgets that Hitler was actually elected. It wasn't the collapse of democracy that brought Hitler to power. It was democracy itself. And Hitler was, of course, a progressive, essentially a left-winger. This is, this is beyond doubt. And of my last episode of how World War II screwed up America, I brought that up. I mean, look, Hitler's a progressive. He's, he's one of them. So was Stalin. So was Mussolini. Uh, I mean, they're all progressives. His history lesson about the antebellum United States is just simply pathetic. Um, he says, of course, the most catastrophic collapse of democracy in the 19th century took place right here in the United States, sparked by the anxieties of white voters who feared the decline of their own power within a diversifying nation. That's not true. Within a diversifying nation? <laughs> um of white voters because they were worried about brown voters. No, that had nothing to do with it. I mean, Yanni Applebaum is just completely delusional. But this is what happens when you ham when you beat this into people's brains over and over and over and over again. They start to believe it. It's always been about race. The slaveholding South exercised disproportionate political power in the early republic. Disproportionate. America's first dozen presidents, excepting only those named Adams, were slaveholders. Twelve of the first, teen, first 16 secretaries of state came from slave states. The South initially dominated Congress as well, buoyed by its ability to count three-fifths of the enslaved persons held as property for the purposes of appointment. Portionment, excuse me. Um, the South dominated Congress. That's funny, because uh, those first Congresses... Well, they weren't really that pro-South, as as the Jeffersonian Republicans pointed out. Interesting. Politics in the early Republic was factious and fractious, dominated by cross-cutting interests. But as northern states formally abandoned slavery and then embraced westward expansion, tensions rose between the states that exalted free labor and the ones whose fortunes were directly tied to slave labor, uh, bringing sectional conflict to the fore. Well, that's a little bit simplistic, because the South wasn't opposed to Western expansion either. They just said this is the common property of the United States and there's no constitutional uh, authority to prohibit slavery in the territories. Now, we can argue that point, but this is a constitutional crisis, not a moral one, which is what Applebaum makes it out to be. Well, because the North abandoned slavery, it all became about morality. No, no. 
Not at all. And in fact, not every northern state had abandoned slavery. Even by 1865, New Jersey still essentially had slavery after the thir- and, and up until the 13th Amendment was ratified. So, uh, I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. Now, were northerners in favor of slavery? No. But they also were not in favor, as I've talked about on this podcast over and over again, of a diverse population in the West. This is why the Republican Party existed, because they were against slaves or any black Americans whatsoever being introduced to the Western Territory. It's documented over and over and over again. Leon Litvak, North of Slavery, uh, The Frontier Against Slavery, another great book on this. Even Eric Foner's Free Soil, Free Labor, Free Men gets into this. But he says this is all because of immigration that these Southerners didn't like this because 19% of the North were immigrants and only 4% of the South were immigrants. So it's really all about immigration. Just like today, it's all about immigration. Um, he, he gets some history wrong. In 1836, Southern congressmen and their allies imposed a gag rule in the House barring consideration of petitions that so much mentioned slavery, which would stand for nine years. Actually, it was a Northerner who initially proposed the gag rule. Right? Um, and there's a reason for it, because as Philip Pendleton Barber pointed out, the reason, I'm, he, reason he was against petitions is because there's no power for the Congress to do anything about this. So why are we even listening to these things? It's taking up time. This was John Quincy Adams did this on purpose to stall and to agitate. So is the issue really these people just trying to get on with the business of Congress or agitators like John Quincy Adams? Who really is the problem here? John Quincy Adams or the people in the majority who are saying, let's get on with business? You see, the problem really falls with the agitators. This is uh, Thomas Fleming, who's now dead, who wrote uh, his last book was on the war. And it blamed the abolitionists for the war. And, oh my gosh, you should have seen the, uh, the excoriating reviews of this thing. I mean, they just let poor old Tom Fleming have it. Now, this is not the Tom Fleming from Chronicles. He's still around, thankfully. This is the historian Tom Fleming, who wrote a number of popular histories. And this last one on the war... I mean, uh, he, he just finally said, look, here's the case. The abolitionists caused the war. Uh, the abolitionists were the problem because they rocked the boat so much that it caused friction. And so he's, bam- he's blaming the left for it, saying the left caused the war. We didn't have to have it. If people were just smart enough, we wouldn't have had to have had it at all. As Southern politicians perceived that demographic trends were starting to favor the North, they began to regard popular democracy itself as a threat. And he brings up Calhoun. Uh, the persecution complex of the South succeeded where decades of abolitionist activism had failed, producing the very hostility to slavery that Southerners feared. Um, one thing he brings up about the Fugitive Slave Act, he says, The Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 required Northern law enforcement officials to arrest those who escaped from Southern plantations and impose penalties on citizens who gave them shelter. Well, that's in the Constitution, of course, the ability for the Congress to pass legislation enforcing the fugitive slave law, and they they say fugitives from justice, this is uh, in the Constitution. So here we have agitators working against something that's in the document. You see. The two-thirds, I'm sorry, the three-fifths compromise is in the Constitution. Okay. Okay. 
Um, then he gets in, he says, well, this is all the South. I mean, this should be, there was no, there's no center-right party. It all broke down because of all these Southerners who just weren't. But maybe it's the fault lies back on Northerners who are trying to radically transform society, whether it was through tariffs, federally funded internal improvements, central banking, slavery extension, the territories, whatever it was, they looked at all of that in terms of, hey, we've got to have power. That's what it all came down to. It's Michael Holt's position. It's all about power. It's all about political power. This is what this, in current, this current crisis, it's all about controlling the spoils. Because if the Democrats control the spoils, they're going to get their way on things. If the Republicans do it, they're going to get their way. And the Democrats have thrown a fit for the last three years. They can't believe they lost an election. You see, they are really the problem. If they just agreed, the whole thing about this, the Democrats are the ones that for the last three years have refused to concede an election. They've refused to concede, and now they've concocted all these things to try to get rid of Trump. And I've said before that Trump could be impeached for so many things, but what he's what they're accusing him of this time, it's not an impeachable offense. It's ridiculous. So here we have uh, a real problem uh, that Yanni Applebaum seems to miss, that the Democrats really are the ones who are creating the friction, not the right-wingers who are simply reacting to the stupidity of the left. He says, if the center-right decides to accept some electoral defeats and then seeks to gain adherence via argumentation and attraction and, crucially, eschews making racial heritage its organized principle, then the GOP can remain vibrant. Well, here, good advice from the Atlantic. How about if the left decides to stop acting like a bunch of crybabies and trying to disrupt an election, saying it didn't happen, that there's no legitimate president. How about if now that stopped, maybe that there wouldn't be some of this stuff going on. How about if the progressive left dropped all the attempts to radically transform society? Maybe the right wouldn't be out there causing so many issues right now in his mind. Maybe they wouldn't be so opposed to things. But when you're talking about people who want to have bathrooms where men can go into women's bathrooms, uh, like you had out in Washington, I think it was Washington State or Oregon, at a, at a pool, a public pool, a man just goes uh, sits down nude in a female bathroom with kids around because that's just okay because that's how he, that's what he identifies today. Uh, maybe if that was kind of stupid stuff wasn't going on, then people wouldn't be saying this is ridiculous and we're not going to support these nonsense. Maybe we didn't have a situation in California for the people that, I mean, look, California can be California, but that stuff could come to the rest of the United States. Maybe we'd have a situation where people were, uh, have you know 40,000 homeless people in Los Angeles alone because of leftist policies and uh, arresting a guy for eating a sandwich on a train platform. I mean, that's in San Francisco, those leftist policies. Maybe we didn't have that. Maybe the right wouldn't be so worried about the prospects of liberty and civil, li- uh, civil liberties and, and uh, freedom and independence in America. Maybe that would be the case, but no, it's not there. It's not, it's not the progressives' fault for all this stupid garbage that they put out. It's really just the right-wingers who are opposed to it. That's the whole point of this stupid piece by Yanni Applebaum. Um, He says, after, um, after Mitt Romney lost in 2012, well, I mean, there was a talk about, you know, making, making the Republican Party more inclusive. Um, we need to make it more inclusive. And when we do that, we're going to win converts and it's going to come right around. People are going to vote for us. 
We know that's not going to happen. People know that's not going to happen. Uh, so, not when you're given, not when the government is Santa Claus. Why would somebody say that's coming here that has nothing say, you know what, I'm not going to vote for that. I'm not, I'm not going to vote for that stuff. I'm going to vote for the people that are saying we need to, we're not, we're not going to give a massive social welfare entitlement programs. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to vote for that when I'm here without anything. Well, I'm going to take the entitlement programs. Give me that. Um, so, Applebaum believes that the way, the path forward is really the, the moderates embracing progressivism and taking back over the Republican Party. Just become good, shut-your-mouth progressive Republicans, get on board with the transformation of America, just accept it, and then move on. And he, he had something, um, last page couple of things here. He says, The suffragists at Seneca Falls, Martin Luther King Jr. on the steps of Lincoln Memorial, and Harvey Milk in front of San Francisco City Hall all quoted the Declaration of Independence. The United States possesses a strong radical tradition, but its most successful social movements have generally adopted the language of conservatism. You will be assimilated. So either assimilate with progressivism, these radical things, just couch it in language of conservatism, or you know, you're, we're gonna, you're going to tear America apart. So these changes reflected America's founding ideals. This is where the neoconservatives, who are the moderates, the establishments, the Straussians, they're saying, you know, America's a proposition nation. They're essentially giving the left. They're conceding the field. This is why they're completely wrong, and they should be denounced. And he says, the stakes in this battle on the right are much higher than the next election. If Republican voters can't be convinced that Democratic elections will continue to offer them a viable path to victory, that they can thrive within a diversifying nation, and that even in defeat, their basic rights will be protected, then Trumpism will extend long after Trump leaves office and our democracy will suffer for it. No, democracy will suffer. If we, first of all, that term democracy is stupid, but it's going to suffer because of progressivism. So, going back to his original title, how America ends, it, it ends with progressives. That's it. It ends with nasty little progressives. And how do we save it? By thinking locally and acting locally. Uh, I had a, somebody comment on one of my YouTube channels before I end, that, uh, one of my YouTube videos, I should say, before I end, uh, that I, don't, I, I, I end very abruptly and I don't usually give them hope. Well, think locally, act locally is hope. I can't tell you what to do, but you should go out and get involved uh, if, if it was me, I mean, you go out and you get involved in your school board. You go out and get involved in your city council. You go get involved in your county council, run for state legislature. Start using the mechanisms that are there of state power and local power against this centralizing tactic, the American democratic nation, which is going to completely run over everything. We have the means. Just go do it. I can't tell you exactly what to do. But Think Locally, Act Locally is the mantra of the podcast. And because of that, that's what you should be doing. So take that for what it's worth. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show, and I will see you next time. <laughs>